It's not science. It's not gambling. It's both. Welcome to the Science Slot Machine, a dangerous game of science, research, luck, and improvisation. This podcast is brought to you by students of the Science and Technology Studies Master Program at the University of Vienna. Even though gambling is largely forbidden here, we take our chances. Every episode, we pick a random topic from science and technology suggested by you, dear listeners. Then two teams split up to do research on this very topic from an STS perspective. In the end, the two teams present their findings, whether it's dog breeding or the history of sex toys. What a dangerous, thrilling, and insightful game this is. Now it's time to send us your topics. Pick whatever comes to your mind. We will deal with it, even if it's obscure or very niche. Challenge us. Simply send us an email at science-slot-machine at gmail.com. Again, it's science-slot-machine at gmail.com. No spaces. We look forward to hearing from you. Hey guys, welcome to our pod. Just a quick note of clarification here. I just want to say that due to vacation reasons, uh, Julia, our host, cannot join us today and neither can Kat or Sophie. But we really thank them for their contributions to this episode because without them, it definitely wouldn't have been possible. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Science Slot Machine Podcast. My name's Harry. You might know me formally of the Team Cherry. This week, I will be taking over for Julia, who is on vacation as she journeyed back to Canada, her homeland. She will be shortly rejoining us. And today, I'd like to welcome once again Team Banana and Team Cherry to the podcast. This week, they were tasked with the hard quest of investigating the end of the universe and possible outcomes of so. So without further ado, I think I would like to turn it over to Team Banana to present their findings first. Do you often stop to ponder about how huge the universe is and how insignificant we are? Hey guys, this Hi. is Team Banana. Um, so it's Robbie. You already know her. Hello, Robbie. Hi, guys. This is called me. This is me, Costa. You already know me. And then we have our beautiful new member, Sophie, which is also with us today. Hi, Sophie. Hello. Good to have you. How are you feeling? Thank you. It's really good being here. And I'm feeling really great. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm feeling great too. That's nice that you ask. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. We're sitting inside and recording online today um, because we are in different areas of the world. But nevertheless, we're connected by our podcast and the STS topic we want to address today. And so actually, this topic was quite challenging for us. So you've heard about it already. And again, it's kind of different perspectives, different scenarios for the end of the universe. So, well, this <laughs> we were kind of uh, exhausted already at the beginning because we didn't know what to do with it, actually. We were kind of struggling with it. Um, but yeah, Robbie, maybe can you tell me how you feel about the topic now or how did you feel in it to it with it at the beginning? So was there a difference? Or how do you perceive it? 
Well, maybe I should briefly introduce how uh, our process went because at the beginning we couldn't really draw the line between the end of the universe and the end of the civilization because they're two very different aspects and they require experts from different fields. So we decided to stuck with the end of the universe, although we kind of uh, gained a bit of knowledge um on the topic of the different scenarios that are based more on the civilization. And here the main STS aspect is how human-centered our vision is when it comes to end of the universe and end of the civilization. It kind of, everything revolves around us as humans. And yes, the end of the universe is certainly a very complicated topic and you can track it in different fields from music and poetry to astrophysics and many complicated sciences that we barely managed to understand. But I think at the end of the day, it was extremely interesting to research something like that and very unusual, especially in the summer where people were kind of expecting something more positive. And all those (laughs) scenarios are... uh, could be extremely depressing and yes but Sophie found a very interesting person to interview who also helped us a lot with the research and maybe she could tell us a bit more about it yeah so I I, in the preparation for this the first thing I did was contact people who probably know a lot more than me about it (laughs) because I had said so little um, pre-knowledge and one uh, colleague and friend that I found who was uh, very nice and was willing to give an interview was Thomas Zahner. Um He's a colleague that I'm working with also on a magazine project and he's background in physics. So um, he was willing to share some insights on the different scenarios and also share some insights on ge- actually general aspects of, of physicist works. And um, then we talked a little bit about how we as individuals um, conceptualize these scenarios and how we kind of deal with this, these insights, uh, but also what it means um, for societies to know that the universe is going to end at some point. And also uh, we talked a little bit about um, the STS aspects. So we, we managed to give it a little STS twist. And we talked about these, that these scenarios are uh, models that physicists come up with and that they're accurate de- descriptions and that they're um, based on evidence and everything, but that they are just models and that they're um, always historically situated and not static, that they, they can be contested and they have been historically contested. And that was one really interesting aspect that I think for us as SCS people, we can never um, emphasize that enough. Interesting. But let's see what our interviewee has to say about it. So what I learned in my studies is that, that mm-hmm. we have to get used to this concept. So it really takes mm-hmm. years just to, you're yeah, just exposed again and again. And at some mm-hmm. point, you're just like, okay, that's how it is. That's the yeah. model of everything. Yeah. And of course, you have to be uh, hopefully you are aware that it is a model mm-hmm. to talk about yeah. the world or the universe so um to not confuse it with reality of course mm-hmm. it's a description of reality and mm-hmm. a very good one because other because it's yeah. kind of the most 
direct one, one could say, but again, describe certain aspects. And in case of these absurd numbers of years and, and space mm -hmm. and time, um, you get removed from this a bit and then you can talk a bit, uh, about it if you know the phys physical model mm -hmm. and the context of it. And then you, you, are, you can move within this model, but mm -hmm. actually I don't think you are that much closer to an intuitive understanding. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting, Sophie. Thank you for doing this interview, for like preparing it and uh, conducting it and also telling us about it, what you gathered from it. And I really like how you describe the SCS touch also in the interview itself. That's pretty amazing. And I was wondering now, so you have, you have told us uh, that the models and the different, yeah, takes on the on the end of the universe they are always um, discussed right so they are kind of in conflict to each other maybe and so i was wondering because we talk a lot in sts about knowledge and production of knowledge so i don't know if you can answer this question but how can someone or somebody actually produce knowledge about something we don't really know <laughs> You know what I mean? It's I, to me, it feels hard to to know um, how this works. Maybe you can tell us a little about about it, and maybe the your interview partner has an opinion about it or some more insights. I think maybe what you mean is so how to study something that is so far away and something that is so abstract that we cannot really make exper experiments on it. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. The thing is that I don't have an answer. I, I'm not exactly sure how, how these scenarios are being built. I think one aspect is you, you draw from, from like knowledge in astrophysics that is already um, pretty robust. And you uh, build up upon that knowledge about the assumptions that you have. But what I remember uh, Thomas said, and we can come back to that, is that he um, yeah he said that in physics actually these theories are so so abstract and so hard to grasp for basically everyday uh, human minds that even in physics it's something that you really have to get used to and it's something that they teach you um, that you you have to start um, kind of yeah getting used to thinking in such abstract ways. Um, that does not necessarily answer your question, but I thought it was interesting to bring it up that um, the knowledge that is produced in physics is actually so abstract that the culture of physicists, um, that there's kind of a culture around um, getting uh, adjusted to such abstract thinking. Um, and I think that fits really nicely with this idea that I guess the, the scientific work in physics is not something... Um, straightforward or necessarily logical but that is something that needs to be cultivated yes uh, well that reminds me actually after all we don't have an answer about the end of the universe and probably none of the scientists out there has a really clear and 100% accurate answer about how the universe is gonna end when and what the obstacles are gonna be that cause it what the consequences would be for us but Uh, as Sophie mentioned, I, um, it's something that's extremely abstract and hard for us to understand, especially people who don't have any background knowledge out there. And 
as we discussed earlier in our team, it's interesting to to see how those theories overlap or don't overlap or they go in totally different directions and how can you actually summarize the end of the universe and all those complicated theories at once they all have something to do with the dark matter something to do with the black holes and black energy they're using the same tools probably different methods and it's um just impossible really to to summarize it and to say Maybe we can just make a list of few possible scenarios, like the big crunch, the big bounce, the heat death, <laughs> and stuff like that. But there are so many principles of thermodynamics and protons, and wow, the, I don't know. Just an annotation, the big crunch and the big bounce is actually one scenario. It, it hangs together. Oops. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you see, dear listeners, we are experts in this very field. <laughs> no, it is really complicated. Yeah. But thank you, Sophie, for clearing up the mess here. I cannot clear up anymore. <laughs> that, uh, that's all. My knowledge is basically the the titles of the scenario. <laughs> no, that's but that that is something. That is something. I guess. Maybe here we could invite some of our listeners who are uh, more experienced in this field and in this topic. You can absolutely, totally contact us on our email and refer to all the mistakes we did in relation to the uh, knowledge that we communicated because we couldn't really find uh, experts who were available during the summer to discuss everything we wanted to that's actually a good thing to do you can contact us via google via our google mail account uh, or twitter we also have facebook and instagram so there are many options just pick one and you can send us voicemails mails texts whatever we're really happy to receive your messages but you go now sophie two, two things uh, came to my mind one was um, a physicist who does a lot of science communication and who researches about the end of the universe. And her name is Katie Mack. And she wrote a book which is titled, I believe, The End of Everything. Astrophysically speaking. Oh, The End of Everything. Yeah. So maybe you can talk about her a little bit later. I think she's right now, she's one of the most predominant figures in, in research about the end of the universe. And also she's, she's communicating her science uh, in public venues, like you know, TED talks or also through her book. Um, and nice. at, yeah. at this point, also, I want to, I want to shout out to uh, Vinnie Vendelin, uh, also a friend and colleague who helped me a lot preparing for this. I want to ask you something, guys, something that I find very interesting. Uh, we are making a quick quiz here. Can you oh, guess no. how how old the universe is? Oh, my God. Sophie, I go first because you probably know it <laughs> so that we have at least one guess. I think how old is the universe? I mean, it's probably... I would say it's let's say one thousand billion years. Is that a is that a is that a answer? number? <laughs> is that a number even? I don't know. 
I, I don't know. Can you, or it's maybe that is a trick question. A rhetor, is it a rhetoric question? It's so just cannot, a question. We cannot count it, maybe. I say we cannot, we cannot say it. We cannot, we cannot know it. What do you say, Sophie? I, unfortunately, I know the number, so. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> It's 13.8 billion years old. Okay. Exactly. That's the number that our interviewee um, stated as how old the universe is. And it's still a pretty big number. It's an, an incredible yeah. number, I think. Yeah, I think, guys, I really love talking to you, but I think somehow we need to wrap it up now and uh, prepare for the big discussion with the with Team Cherry. We really, I think we did a kind of a good job here. Because it is a difficult topic, but we came up with um, yeah some interesting thoughts, some interesting STS takes, even uh, which was probably not the easiest thing this time. So there are way easier topics than this. But thank you very much, both Robbie and Sophie, for your contributions, for your work, your time, and your effort. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to discuss this topic with everyone else. Yeah. So before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you guys, what are your main uh, takeouts from the whole research of this unusual topic? This is a standard answer, very generic answer, but for me, just putting your own life and also our civilization into perspective, basically. I think that was the most captivating thing to, to realize, okay, we are actually just such a tiny, tiny fraction Um in in worldly or universal developments and um at one at some point or it's in 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 a way it seems like everything doesn't matter anymore when you know that that uh, how how tiny this fraction is but also it kind of gives you a certain agency to know you know you've got this one shot at life and um yeah when you put worldly developments in such a broad mm -hmm. perspective it kind of helps you yeah To That's a nice thought. My main takeaway is that my imagination is not as big as I could see the end of the universe. I can imagine the end of humankind, of human culture or whatever, but the end of the universe, I cannot, like my imagination is not able to, to d deal with this actually. Thank you very much. Totally. And as a goodbye from Team Banana, I would like to uh, drop you a quote from our interviewee who says that we should not pay such huge attention and worry about the end of the universe, but simply enjoy the small stuff in life. Um, so in the sense of also what you mentioned before, this why we use these funny names for, for all these things, the big bang, the big yeah. freeze, the big crunch, the big all these funny names. Um, me personally, I can't speak for others, but me personally, I don't find, find it depressing actually, yeah, yeah. because it's so abstract and so far away that we have other things to worry about. Sure. Um, and even if it is true, then we cannot change it. Also, it puts a lot of problems into perspective that to say, okay. Why do we fight about different spots of land on this strange small uh, sphere floating in space? Yeah. <laughs> Why is it so important? Come on, guys. Um, think about 
giant black holes, das ist fun. Yeah. Wow, thanks guys, that was great. And uh, welcome back to the show. We just heard from Team Banana and I myself think they did a, a really good job and brought up a lot of very, very interesting points of discussion. Um, I really liked the interview. Um, shout out to Thomas, friend of the podcast. Um, and yeah, um, I guess without me talking too much and embarrassing myself up here, since I don't really know what I'm doing, taking over for Julia, um, let's just hand it right over to Team Cherry and take this thing away. How do you guys feel? Good? Yeah. Yeah, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Yeah, I looked at different um, scenarios how the universe is supposed to end according to physicists. And I just want to mention that for research, I used the book The End of Everything by Katie Mack, who is an astrophysicist herself. And it's a really great book and you should totally check it out if you're more interested in these things and want to go a bit more into detail. People always have wondered how the world would end. But the tool that made it accessible for scientific research was Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity. You can basically use the equations that he came up with to describe a theoretical state in which the universe has its largest possible expansion. And these equations, they don't have one single solution, but many different possible solutions in which each one implies a different ending of absolutely everything. And I mean, everything, everything. So before I go into the, the possibilities, uh, it's important to mention that right now the universe is still expanding and this expansion seems to accelerate ever faster. In the first theory about the end, which is called the big crunch, this expansion of the universe eventually reverses and the universe recollapses into a state of super high density and very low expansion, just like before it was in the Big Bang. The second theory is called the Big Bounce, and it's very similar to the Big Crunch theory. But I have to say it's more of a mathematical theory and physicists tend to not like it so much. But it also has to do more with the beginning of the universe than with the end. But let me explain first. Basically, it proposes that there was no Big Bang event in the first place, but rather the universe does not have a real beginning, nor for that matter, real end. What happens to the universe in the grand scheme of things, so to say, is that it's in a perpetual cycle of expansion and collapse and expansion and collapse and that this cycle goes on until ever. So no real beginning, no real end. These two theories, the big crunch and the big bounce, are currently the ones that are least favored by scientists because there's simply no physical evidence for both of them. Because as I said, the universe is still in an expanding state and there is no sign whatsoever that this expansion ever reverses. Which brings me to the third theory, which is called the big chill or heat death scenario. And it's basically the opposite outcome of the big crunch. In this theory, the universe expands ever faster and faster until there is just no more energy left and the universe simply kind of freezes to death. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about freezing to death anytime soon because the time scale in, the, in which this would happen is incredibly long. So I read that the earliest possible time for this would be 
10 to the power of 106 years. And most likely this is even a very um, conservative estimate. So at least we have a 10 with 106 zeros to figure out what we do about it then. The fourth theory is called the Big Rip. And the Big Rip basically operates with the very same assumptions as the big chill theory with one small difference, namely that a tiny constant, the Hubble constant, is assumed to increase to infinity in a finite amount of time. What this small difference means is that it has a severe outcome for the end of the universe because in an ever faster expanding universe, this would cause all matter of the universe, like all the stars, all the galaxies, all the atoms, quarks and all that, and even space-time itself to be ripped apart at some very specific point in the also very far future, uh, simply because it has expanded too much. I always imagine this like a balloon that you like inflate and inflate and inflate and at some point it just pops because the material fabric cannot hold it anymore. And it's similar with the universe according to the big grip theory. So at some point the fabric of the universe just cannot hold this expansion anymore and just like that pop space-time and the universe would be gone. The fifth theory is the most complicated one but also uh, the most scary one. So Please bear with me. In this theory, we go deep in the field of quantum theory. So obviously, this is way over my head, and I apologize to all the physicists who are listening to that, but um, I will just try to explain how I got it. So the premise of this theory is that the Higgs field, which gives particles their mass, is currently not at the lowest possible energy state or vacuum state. This is bad because if it ever reaches such a lower state to a random effect like quantum tunneling, please don't ask me what quantum tunneling is. And um, anyway, if it reaches this lower energy state or this vacuum state somewhere in the universe at any point, not only this releases a shit ton of energy that was stored in this Higgs field, but this point basically spreads at the speed of light and nothing can stop it. And while it spreads at the speed of light, it basically rips apart the fabric of the whole universe in its wake. It changes all the physical constants, all the chemical laws, how atoms are built up. So anything you can imagine is changed if this Higgs field is changed, basically. And now comes the scary part. If this theory were true, the universe could end any second, just like that. We cannot see it coming because it moves at the speed of light. We cannot see anything like faster than speed of light. And we would literally never know what hit us, except like we wouldn't be there anymore because like whatever would come out of this like cosmic vertigo thing would be completely different than, than anything that was before. The universe would be a completely different place where you could like, I, I cannot even, I cannot even start to imagine like what this place would look like. So, um, I, with, with this great confusion, I will just leave you with these five possible ends and, and let you figure out for yourself which one you um, like better and which one is your preferred one. And I'm certainly not going to tell you which was my preferred one. So how's your existential crisis doing? You have to admit that my anxiety levels were very high when I started researching this thing. And especially like the last theory where the universe could end any moment was a bit terrifying in the beginning. But then I thought like, okay, yeah, if the universe ends at any second, I will not be there anymore to be sad about that. So I decided not to care about it so much. 
But what I've also been wondering um, throughout the story is why we should even want to research this at all. Uh, I kind of have the feeling that asking why we should research the end of the, of the universe is an even more existential question than pondering the possible endings of the universe itself. I mean, why should we even do research at all? Why should we ever do anything rather than nothing? And when is something considered meaningful or important? So this is how my existential crisis is doing right now. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. Why should we research the end of the universe in the first place? The most obvious and straightforward answer to this question would be curiosity. As humans, we just want to explore because there is something rather than nothing. And we're aware of this. Whether this something is an illusion or not, we want to know why there is something rather than nothing. Or at least some of us do, and I'm definitely one of those people. One does, however, not just study the end of the universe. One studies the universe as a whole. Its beginning, its change over time, and its future. These are all connected to each other, interrelated, and cannot be seen separately from each other. This study of the universe as a whole is what we call cosmology, and cosmology kind of has two really clear purposes. The first one is testing the laws of nature, and the second one is letting us understand how the universe came to be, changes, and will change, thus also how it eventually will end, by means of applying these laws of nature. When it comes to studying cosmology and the usefulness thereof, one often hears that the spin-offs of studying the universe are so great. People often say things like, yay, we have GPS now, but personally I, I'm, I'm not very convinced by this argument, as in, like I mentioned already, these are merely spin-offs. That is to say, it would have been way cheaper to conduct research directly into navigation products without sending man to the moon, so to say. Knowing how the universe will end long after humanity in all likelihood has already been wiped out is just also gathered knowledge that is a spin-off, a byproduct, although maybe less useful this time than having GPS. Maybe we should turn the question around though and ask why we generally deem curiosity an insufficient answer. For many people that I talk to, It seems as if studying the universe, and in particular space travel, is considered as a waste of money. Money that could also be used for battling climate change or helping the poor, to just give two really obvious examples. Quite a human-centered question, isn't it? Curiosity versus solving societal problems. But it's also a human-made distinction. Often, however, what we are not aware of, these distinctions happen on a conscious level whereas our interests and passions are taking place on an unconscious level. We have to acknowledge that we are a product of the Enlightenment, which resulted in a quest for knowledge production and wanting to challenge the ideas of the past, such as religion, to give an example. And we are still part of this. And this also resulted in, uh, resulted in as Heidegger called it, Ooh, Heidegger. the ugly side of curiosity which means the inability to focus on the problems that we are facing right now. We wander off, focus on things that should be none of our business. Curiosity can thus be characterized by not being able to stand still at the things that are close to us right now at this very moment. Cosmology, or researching how the universe will end for that matter, is therefore not meaningful in that it directly solves any temporal societal problems, 
nor is it the most cost-effective way to solve these problems. But the seemingly simple answer, because of curiosity, is in the end not such a bad answer after all. Since although it does feel inconclusive and somewhat unsatisfying, that is also just the way we humans are. The strive for ever-expanding knowledge is in our human nature. Humans have always tried to make sense of life itself and the world around them. And very probably, we always will. On the positive side, though, curiosity often offers unexpected possibilities. I mean, how else would we have discovered America? Because when human life on Earth is coming to an end, or when we are faced with extreme overpopulation on Earth, by that time it would be nice if we would have found other planets to inhabit. Because by then, the answers are in the stars. Therefore, we cannot stop the universe from ending, nor does cosmology bring us much from a capitalistic point of view, but we can make sure that humans can observe the universe for just a wee bit longer. Except, of course, when the space vacuum decay destruction wave comes and hits us and everything will be gone in one instant, then we will not be there a wee bit longer. But other than that, it's fine. Then it's all gone immediately. <laughs> yeah, but let's not worry about that too much. All right, guys, welcome back. Thank you again to Team Cherry. Um, I think you guys took it in a little bit of a different direction, although it started very similar at the beginning. Uh, thanks to Patrick for asking some really important philosophical questions about why we should spend our time wondering about these things in the beginning um, and where we really get to with that. Um, so I think I will open it up here to the plenary to kind of talk about this before I waste my breath anymore. Does anybody have any immediate thoughts from either of the teams? I want to thank a lot to Team Cherry, actually, that they so uh, in detail actually covered the topic of the different scenarios. Because I think it's basically the main goal of the topic today. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Robbie. Uh, Team Cherry did a great job in explaining the different scenarios. Uh, Kat, really, her talk was enlightening to me because we didn't dig into it that much. And especially what you mentioned already, Robbie, the why question that Patrick raised, it's really interesting. He Patrick did a really good job in raising these questions and, uh, at first and then also lining out the importance of the question. Why should we talk about a why question at all? And I think there are problems and issues um, we face in our immediate surrounding, in our environment, that are also important to talk about. But nevertheless, Patrick, I think, made the point that it's still not uh, unnecessary to talk about the end of the universe. I think if I got it... Did I get that right, Patrick? Yeah, you got that totally right. That's exactly... Uh... The message, yeah. I'm glad you understood. Thank you. Okay, seems like the end of the universe is actually a very complicated topic. And I want to kind of go into a different direction because after we did the recording of Team Banana, I asked myself why we forgot to cover the theories of people who are supporters of the flat earth theory. And I wondered, because according to this theory, there is no universe at all or it's just in a different dimension and we are not able to see it and reach it when we are in this human form. 
And I actually did my research shortly before we started the recording of today's podcast episode, and I couldn't find anything. Does any of you eventually know anything more about it? Because I simply wanted to know if there is a completely new theory about the end of the universe or the flat universe or however it's called. Is the moderator allowed to have an opinion on this? Totally. I mean, for me personally, the only thing more pointless than studying the end of the universe is the end of the universe from a flat earther perspective. Oh, that's rude. I mean, um, something that we did talk about when we were deliberating about what direction we were going to take this in was sort of the fact that a lot of religions seem to have already a concept about how the universe is going to end or so, and that also comes across in Patrick's part when he talks about why people want to know, because for some reason, it seems to have been always part of human nature to think about the end of the universe and to conceptualize it. And uh, so, yeah, like also flat earthers and other weird conspiracy theorists have all weird theories about how the universe is going to end, which is maybe something within human nature then. And as we are speaking about the fact that different religions have or different beliefs in general kind of uh, rely on different ends of the universe, what would you say is kind of the most unusual one you guys stumbled upon during your research? Do you remember that a bit better, Patrick? Because I just remember we looked into the Buddhism one and we looked into just Armageddon and the four horsemen of the apocalypse raining down fire onto the earth. <laughs> That sounds interesting. Maybe you can talk a little more about that, Santa. Do you know something about it? Or is it just a, a, like a name dropping? No, no, no. I mean, uh, maybe maybe Harry can, can pitch in here again, because I, I think he might be a bit more Christian than I am. Huh. Uh, probably not more Christian, but I was a witness to this first session. It was their brainstorming uh, question that they did, and... Yeah, I took notes. I don't really like I don't really recall everything that was being said. I just recall scouring Wikipedia for every religion known to man and seeing how they thought the world was going to end. And we kind of got to that question that you guys started with, Team Banana, which is like the difference between the end of civilization and the end of the universe. And it got us to the point of thinking about the end of the universe as a relatively new kind of thing because it makes the distinguishment between civilization and the universe and before that a lot of times in many different cultures and therefore religions they were one and the same thing but it was a wild trip i have to tell you like looking up all the armageddon thing and the horsemen are, are they what i discovered is you could always you could almost always make the case that the horsemen are kind of almost here so maybe in that sense the end of the universe is close you see, I really like the fact that both our interviewee and Team Cherry as a whole kind of um, get the same moral of the story and it is simply don't focus on that so much. There are much more important things that we actually have control over mm -hmm. and we should probably, you know... Um, think more carefully into the direction of what we could change and what we have impact on rather than something that's completely out of our reach. Yes, exactly. Because especially within SCS, this field that we're in, 
um, a large part of it is thinking about future making or futures in the making and how they might influence current day society, I guess. And, and one of, one of the things, for example, just to name something is how to deal with nuclear waste that is still going to be around in 300,000 years. And these are numbers that we can still conceptualize and there aren't even close to these big, what did Kat say in, in our part 10 to the power of 24 years. So, and, and you already see how much people are struggling with 300,000 years, um, let alone these huge numbers that, uh, that the end of the universe might be. Yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right, Sinta. And this reminds me of what um, Sophie said, that we only have one shot at life and we still need to make the best out of it and, yeah, try to come up with uh, feasible and uh, long-lasting solutions for problems like nu nuclear waste management or climate uh, crisis, climate change issues. Um, so the end of the universe is a topic that seems to be abstract, but it kind of reminds me uh, that we have this one chance to to come up with a with solutions for a better future, and this yeah kind of brings nicely together the STA's take on it as well. And also another thing that I found very interesting um, was that. Thomas, the interviewee, was saying, um, yeah, we have all these fun names just to have fun with black holes and, and thinking about these stu this stuff is fun. And I actually disagree with this because I actually think that thinking about the end of the universe is sort of boring just because it's so far out of our reach. And I don't know, it just seems like such an, a useless question to human civilization because then we have because we're not going to be around for it, not in a long shot. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um maybe yeah, Patrick, why do you think uh what would you study if you were to choose because you raised the question of why studying the end of the universe. I think you named some issues, but what was what would be the most prominent thing you would study right now if you could pick yeah, no, like I mentioned already, it's uh, the end of the universe is not the goal. That, that's not what you study. It's just you study the universe and then you also find out different scenarios uh, as to how it could possibly end. Um, but I, of course, it is in, uh, that's also what I said um, in the end. I, it, of course, it is interesting to study the universe, how it, how it started, how it is changing. Uh, and then, yeah, you also find out how it might end. Yeah. I guess I have a question for everybody in the group, which is, and, and it, it is a topic in STS too. Uh, what should be the expertise delegation here? Like, who, should should everybody be thinking about these things? Doesn't seem like it. Or who who does seem to be studying these things today? Is it just physicists? You know, because the way that I look at it is, there's if you go into physics chances are there's a big chance you're going to be studying space if you stay in academia in, at some point or some time because it's one of the main frontiers to be studied. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Who should be studying these things and how should society delegate it? Sh or should we, is there a call to listen to the expertise more? You know, I've actually thought about it a lot, not only in uh, when it comes to the topic of physics and cosmology, but in general, should science be something that the public also 
strongly engages with. I mean, in our studies, we have multiple times communicated the topic of citizen science and science citizenship and how uh, normal people without academic background could also contribute a lot to different scientific research researches. And I'm kind of thinking that it should be open source to everybody because sometimes, as Thomas mentioned, science gets too abstract and you're kind of following a path and you cannot open your mind enough to more unusual ideas. And I think collaboration between normal people and scientists should bring really the best fruits because everybody sees things from different perspectives and this could only be uh, profitable for looking uh, for the right answers somehow. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's sort of, um, I mean, similar to what we already mentioned before, um, is that when we talk about making science more democratic, we already talked about that there are maybe more important issues to focus about, like climate change or energy transitions. And I don't know, what would be the point of making the end of the universe or the topic of the end of the universe more democratic to the public? That is actually a good question. I have no answer. I must confess, I have no answer to it. Uh, because to me personally, energy, like what you named just there, energy transition or uh, climate, uh, climate change issues uh, are at this very moment more important than studying the end of the universe or making the end of the universe science activities more democratic. I would say an energy transition like with solar systems and making these things more democratic, for instance, like providing infrastructures that could be used by everyone, um, that would make sense to me and making this more democratic. But I don't know, has anyone else an idea to that? No, but I think we probably should wrap it up and one more time invite our listeners to engage actively with the topic. Maybe we could make part, part two where we discuss uh, something similar to uh, the end of the universe. But so far, we don't have the right answers of how the universe is going to end up. So, yeah, maybe we should keep the mystery. Yeah. I agree. And on that note, and following Robbie's pitch, be sure to give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and definitely send us an email with your new topic suggestions and or any criticisms you had of this episode, because as we know, we are not experts on this topic, and we would really love the feedback. Um, we look forward to seeing you guys for the next episode. And yeah, that's all we have for you to, guys today. Thanks again for joining us. Now it's time to send us your topics. Pick whatever comes to your mind. We will deal with it, even if it's obscure or very niche. Challenge us. Simply send us an email at science-slot-machine at gmail.com. Again, it's science-slot-machine at gmail.com. No spaces. We look forward to hearing from you.